That was Yezda Urfa, a band that came out of Chicago in 1973, put out two highly acclaimed albums. They sound kind of like a cross between Yes and Gentle Giant. Really all over the place, they take you on quite a ride. We heard two songs from their album Sacred Baboon. The last song we just heard is Cancer of the Band. Before that, the name of the song was My Doctor Told Me I Had Doggy Head. Both those songs by Yezda Urfa. Before that, we heard Patrick Moraz, his 1976 album The Story of I, with Intermezzo. Now I'm going to feature three songs from the band Shadow Circus, formed in 2006 in New Jersey, and they're still going strong. You could say they belong to a loosely defined genre of prog called symphonic prog. Many literary references. It's a formidable outfit. We're going to listen to first a song from Welcome to the Freak Room from their album 2007. The name of the track is The Horseman Ride.
That was Shadow Circus with the song Willoughby from the 2009 album Whispers and Screams. You're listening to Mutiny Radio, and I'm your host, Junior Jenkins, here at the Gates of Delirium, bringing you the best, most esoteric, and more or less most overlooked progressive rock from its golden age of 1970 to 1977. All the way to the present day, progressive rock is alive and well and an antidote to the Justin Bieber's of the world. Once again, my name is Junior Jenkins. I am sitting in again for the other guy who continues to be wrestling with some kind of existential crisis. We hope he makes it out soon, but if he doesn't, well, he's just going to be like many of the rest of us. Soldiering on. Our next song is going to be from a band from Finland. The name of the band is Hydria Space Folk. They were formed in 2001. Kind of like a mix between Kingston Wall and Osric Tentacles. If you know what that means, you're my kind of person. This is from their 2007 album, Symmetria. The name of the track is 322. Hydria Space Folk.
That was Hydria Space Folk from their al- 2012 album, Astronautica. The name of the track was Endymion. Before that, we heard their 2007 album, Symmetria, and the name of that track was 322. Going to stay in Finland now with a band that was formed there in 1991. The name of the band is Kingston Wall. We're going to hear two or three tracks from their 1993 album, Two, which, believe it or not, was their second album. The name of this track is Two of a Kind, Kingston Wall. Thank you. 
That was Kingston Wall. Bam from Finland. Last track we heard was from their album Two, which they put out in 1993. That was called Istvan. Before that, we heard Two of a Kind. And then, oh, the most recent one was Could It Be So? Before that was Istvan. And then the first was Two of a Kind. Three from Kingston Wall. This next song is from Jethro Tull. From one of their classic trio of medieval Prague songs that they put out in the late 70s. This is just a moment here. I this is called Dunringill. And the storm watch grows a constant of kings as the white sea snaps at the heels of a soft prayer. Clear light on a slick farm as a misty of the day. Slip the night from a shade make. Make a marked card play. We call twine at hours down from a heaven home. High above the highest bidding for the good Lord's throne. In the wee hours of me. Stone circles until the force comes through. Lines join and fade discords and the storm watch roots. A concert of kings as the white sea snaps at the heels of a song.
here we are at the Idaho Prism Gathering, and Dharmika is going to play us a song that she just wrote. Feet on the earth again, grass between my toes. I can see the sky again, how the forest grows. Birds chatter up the creek. Rapids sing a rolling song, sun peaks behind the clouds. Oh, it's been so long, been so long, been so long. Jason. Howdy folks, this is Finch and it's Tuesday again, which means it's time to bring you another episode of Always Free Radio, the live internet streaming radio show and archived podcast that brings you songs, stories, and news from around the world, from rainbow gatherings and the people that love to attend and participate in them. You can listen to Always Free Radio by tuning in live any Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. San Francisco time, that's Pacific time, on mutinyradio.fm. 
Just go to mutinyradio.fm and click the play button to listen live. Or if you missed the live production of the episode, you can download our archived recordings of all past episodes for the last year and a half or so by going wherever you get your podcasts and searching for the title of the show, all one word, always free, spelled A-L-L-W-A-Y-S-F-R-E-E. And again, that's all one word. Always Free comes to you weekly out of Mutiny Radio from San Francisco, but also for the last couple of months has been coming to you remotely from places as far off as France, Italy, and Copenhagen. Uh, I've been traveling around and I've been to a couple of the Rainbow Gatherings in Europe this summer. And uh, this week's episode is going to be another collection of field recordings, uh, some of which I took at the Pennsylvania Prism Gathering, some at the Idaho Prism Gathering, and some at the European Rainbow Gathering in France. Uh, There have also been several recent articles about Rainbow Gatherings lately, and so you're going to be hearing me reading Rainbow in the News, articles from the gatherings in Pennsylvania, New Mexico, France, and uh, up in the Alps in Italy. So without further ado, please enjoy the field recordings from the Rainbow Prisms and from rainbows all around Europe. Musical Art of the French Teepee, August 2nd, from La Depeche.fr. A huge teepee is erected in the middle of the forest. Matteo enters, takes off his shoes. The hardest part is finding them, he smiles. Inside, another fire is burning. Places in the French teepee are expensive. Once seated, all you have to do is open the hatches. A mystical atmosphere emerges from it. On that day, songs are performed in Indian. The instruments used come from the same country. A woman begins to sing. She wears a long feather on her face. It is transcended by the sounds that resonate with zithers or sanfurs. Someone starts to follow her. Matteo specifies, There are different teepees in each rainbow. The one who brews the most people this year is the French. Yet, it is not necessarily only locals who come to share their music. The melodies are linked. After a while, two violinists settle down. They stick perfectly to the rhythms imposed by the other musicians. One of the two is of Russian origin. She came especially to France for this extraordinary event. She masters her instrument to perfection. Never a crooked note, always in the right tempo. The last song ends. A man pushes the others while apologizing. He begins to sing on a poorly tuned guitar. The community struggles with their songs. And so is the fire, because it is slowly extinguished. The cold takes its place in the teepee. The the guitarist has just finished, others take over. The evening will go for a long time, maybe even until the early hours of the morning. (laughs) 
Forest Service helps restore Rainbow Gathering site. Friday, August 13th, 2021, by the Albuquerque Journal, by Teresa Davis, journal staff writer. Peace, love, and latrine cleanup? The Carson National Forest in northern New Mexico has asked visitors to tread lightly along Forest Road 76 after the agency restored a site where thousands of free spirits gathered earlier this summer. The Rainbow Family of Living Light held its annual gathering from late June through the first week in July on the Camino Real Ranger District near Taos. Forest Service teams estimate about 5,000 people camped out during the event's July 4th peak when the group prayed for world peace from sunrise to noon. Groups of more than 75 must have a permit for forest events. But Hillary Markin, a Forest Service spokesperson, said that the group refused, claiming that no one member can represent them in the permit process. In lieu of a permit, we worked with them to minimize environmental damage, Markin said. The group first told the Forest Service about the planned events uh, days before arriving on the federal land. The agency responded by treating the incident like a fire or other natural disaster with a resource protection plan, management team, and rehabilitation plan. The Rainbow family could not be reached for comment about the event and cleanup. According to their website, the loosely affiliated group expounds a vision of cooperation and coexistence for the healing and betterment of humankind. Annual events that draw global participants are a chance to cleanse, rejoice, celebrate, and become in beautiful ways. Markin said the forest team worked with the Rainbow family during and after the event on a watershed-focused event effort to protect soil health, water quality, archaeological sites, and sensitive wildlife species. About 20 Rainbow affiliates stayed behind after the event concluded to ensure the group cleared out and cleaned up. It involved removing trash, man-made structures like ovens, fire rings, swing sets, and mounding the latrines so they don't settle in a way that would create depression and catch water, Markin said. Restoration work also included reseeding and mulching bare earth worn down by campers and covering up user-made trails. We're already starting to see plant growth from that native seed mix, which is really encouraging, Markin said. Forest Road 76 is still in bad shape from rains and increased use, Markin said. The first Rainbow Gathering was held in 1972 in northern Colorado. Before this year, events had been hosted on the Gila National Forest in 1977, the Carson in 1995, and the Santa Fe in 2009. All right, we're at the Idaho Prism 2021, far out in the mountains. My name is Bobby Mojave, and I have a story to part. And this has to do with a man I met who passed away a few years back named Billy Sean. And he was here at the start of the gathering. And he told me his story about how he helped, you know, with the beginning in the creation of the gathering in his own special way. So Billy Sean was a man, he grew up in San Diego, started the first free food vegan restaurant. And, you know, they had a free food plate option, you know, it went up from there. And they charged on a sliding scale, depending on where you felt you were on the scale. And it was really something different for the mid-60s to late-60s. So, he started his thing out, and they would do a lot of theatrics. 
so they were they were really into stopping the killing of animals and having free vegan food for everyone so he would get into the the middle of the street with these mannequins that he would that he made and some people might be familiar with these stories that they would stop the traffic in the middle of San Diego in the busiest intersection and the only reason he got away with this is his dad was the police chief and he says that that's kind of why they were doing it kind of even to push the envelope you know they they knew they could get away with it you know and they they w wanted to promote their business too it was a big thing you know so he um they'd get these uh like paper mache animals and fill them with like red dyed liquid and they would drag them to the middle of the intersection and just start stabbing them with knives dramatically and get the women to just hysterically scream and it was blood curling and people are like they're not driving they're they're like oh my gosh <laughs> it's in the newspaper and everything but freedom of speech so that was very important also in the court cases for our right to you know do something like stop traffic for a moment you know they weren't trying to really blockade and then they kind of ended it with a little come to the ve vegan restaurant and see what it's all about you know not like you know they had their business you know and that's what it was about so it was kind of like a m advertising free speech advertising is where it came out and they I think they won in court I'm not really sure about all that but he really he smiled when he told me that story I remember and I love to hear his story so he tells me about one time the start of the gathering and there's just word going around that this big thing is going to happen like the next Woodstock or something who knows but everyone doesn't want to call it that but it's good they want it to be that but then it's like there's no headliners right so his friends they were all artists too down there and they made a lot of those trippy psychedelic posters that you see for like a concert so they would draw all those crazy bubbly letters and stuff. <clears throat> There's lots of people doing that and they kind of had their own way of doing it. So when they got the word that this thing was going to happen, they made posters and sent them out all over the country. So people started seeing these posters that this thing was going to happen. And that's a big reason why so many people came. And if you ask some of the people, especially some of the people that didn't even know, it was still happening they'll be like oh yeah i saw it on a poster in x city and so that's a that's a great story to hear really sean bless his heart i hope his spirit is smiling on us right now as we listen Sentinel, August 15th, 2021, obituary for Susan Reed. Susan Reed was born March 25th, 1955, in Aguadilla, Puerto Rico. She passed away August 15th, 2021, in Nagadechi, Texas. She lived a remarkable life of love, adventure, song, Christianity, friendship, and optimism. She lived in many different places, growing up with her military family, including Puerto Rico, New York, Warner Robins, Georgia, and Fort Worth, Texas. 
Part of her formative years were significantly shaped by her mama and papa, where she spent her summers fishing, gardening, and playing in Center, Texas. Once she finished high school, she began college at Stephen F. Austin State University and took nearly a 30-year break to raise her three children. At times, she worked three jobs as a single mother to care for her family. She later finished college and went on to earn a graduate degree in rehabilitative counseling. She became a vocational rehab counselor and was an advocate and resource for the people she served. Her interests varied from camping, gardening, and taking in live music to later placing much of her energy and focus on church and ministries. She was a founding member of the Christian Women's Job Corps in Nagadachis and served on other volunteer boards in similar capacity. As part of her church group, she helped collect clothes and toys for orphans in Mexico and brought her grandchildren to help with this ministry. She positively impacted many lives. Susan leaves behind her husband, Randall Reed, to whom she had been married for 27 years. One of their favorite ways to spend free time was listening to and periodically enjoying live music. Toward the middle years of her life, as her children were near grown, she and Randy brought them to see the mountains of Colorado and many beautiful national parks of the West. This was part of a window in her life where she was passionate about peace, love, and rainbow gatherings. Susan was given the name Songbird because her singing would often fill a room with her beautiful voice. She loved the open road and the freedom it provided. Just last month, she and two of her grandchildren went to Mount Rushmore, other parts of the Dakotas, and other Midwestern states. Susan was extraordinarily dedicated to family and a very passionate woman. She was a pillar of strength and the matriarch of her family. If you knew Susan, you knew her to be kind, forgiving, and passionate about Christ. No matter your status in life, she accepted and loved you. She helped raise three of her grandchildren, and two were still in her care upon her death. She is survived by her husband, Randy Reed, three children, Jennifer West, Spring West, and Jacob West, and wife, Lauren of San Antonio, and seven grandchildren, Joel Rhodes, Christopher Wilson, Sonny Williams, Cheyenne Morris, Jadiana Morris, Caden West, Savannah West, and Ethan Hyman, and two great-grandchildren, Evan and Difference Ann Rhodes. She will be dearly missed. There will be an end-of-life celebration for Susan on Saturday, October 25th at the Pine Creek Country Inn located at 1851 FM 2782, Nagadaches, Texas, 75964. The gathering will be from 12 to 2 p.m. We would ask that all that join to be fully vaccinated. Please call or text 210-380-0164. That's 
Inside the Last Real Anarchist Gathering. Rainbow gatherings have been a phenomenon since 1972, offering a glimpse into an alternate reality where money doesn't exist and psychedelic culture is the norm. But can this temporary idyllic society have an impact on the outside world? 
Madison Margolin, August 20th, 2021, Double Blind Mag. Double Blind Mag is devoted to fair, rigorous reporting by leading experts and journalists in the field of psychedelics. Read more about our editorial process and fact-checking, editorially reviewed by Shelby Hartman. It's easy to fantasize about an idyllic, psychedelic society at times like this. It's almost as if we've all been dosed, collectively, with this drug called COVID that magnifies our fears, triggers mental unrest, and feels like a bad trip that just won't end. Whether or not we've been infected with the virus, it leaves a psychological impression upon each of us, no matter if we choose to fear it or not. And at its worst, the drug called COVID can also kill you. When we look around and consider where to turn, we see fires and rising global temperatures, and we realize that the pandemic is our set and the climate crisis our setting for what's undoubtedly been, at times, a challenging psychedelic experience for each of us individually, as well as for our collective consciousness. Yes, we're at a crossroads, a psychedelic moment in history. If nothing else good has come of this pandemic, at the very least it's forcing us to question the paradigms of economics, medicine, and culture we've subscribed to for so long, shedding light on where the system and the values that support it are failing us. It's also an opportunity to question which values we want to carry into the next era. And so, as they say, when you're struggling through a difficult trip, the only way out is through. There's no off-ramp for this juncture. If we're enduring the shadow side of the psychedelic experience by virtue of today's current events, then perhaps only through the application of psychedelic ideals might we make it through to the other side. And, might I suggest, with a hint of optimism, if not also some naivete, we might even make it through to a better paradigm altogether. So let's return to that fantasy of the psychedelic society. I caught a glimpse of that lifestyle earlier this summer at the regional rainbow gathering in the Allegheny National Forest of Pennsylvania and at a rainbow gathering in rural Wisconsin a few years before that. Every year, thousands of rainbow family make the trek to a remote national forest to simply live, to camp, to cook, to sing songs, and to collectively pray for world peace, silently holding hands in a circle on the 4th of July. This year, due to the pandemic, rather than one big gathering over the holiday week and weekend, Rainbow spliced off into three regionals around the country, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, and Idaho. Next year, the gathering will be in Colorado for its 50th anniversary. Psychedelics are part of the culture at Rainbow, but they're not the focal point, although hard drugs and alcohol are discouraged. Rather, the psychedelic ethos is part of the foundation upon which the culture of the gathering is established. The Rainbow Gatherings officially began in 1972, serving as an opportunity to manifest, from scratch, a temporary society that upholds non-commercial, non-hierarchical, environmentally conscious ideals. Rainbow was the precursor to Burning Man. There are no leaders, no exchange of money, it's free to attend, and no trace left behind once the gathering disassembles. Everyone has an equal opportunity to become a focalizer and manifest the vision. It's rootsier than Burning Man and more true to a psychedelic ethos that challenges a capitalist, consumerist paradigm in favor of a sustainable approach to life that can be applied and lived out beyond the scope of the annual gathering. Rainbow is not a cathartic escape to the desert for a week. It has no Silicon Valley elites or class structure as defined at the burn. Most rainbow camps and communal kitchens are a reflection of time and effort rather than material resources. 
Rainbow is a lifestyle unto itself and a philosophy that has guided activist work for decades. Take, for instance, some of the communal kitchens that were set up during the Occupy movement at disaster sites or the Dakota Access Pipeline protests. Those were led by Rainbow Family who gained experience from the gathering of setting up field kitchens in less than ideal environments, i.e. in raw forest. If we think about psychedelic ethos and the integration of psychedelic values into our lifestyle, then Rainbow and the actions of Rainbow Family outside the gathering exemplify just that. If oneness is a psychedelic value, indeed one of the criteria that psychedelic scientists have identified as part of the so-called mystical experience, then feeling a sense of oneness to community and nature, and therefore a responsibility to it, reflects an integration of psychedelic values put into practice. A number of service-oriented projects come out of Rainbow, but all organically, explains Tanali Renick, a member of the Rainbow family for the past 30 years who leads disaster relief projects and collects field recordings of songs and sounds from the gatherings. It's just a volunteer-driven phenomenon, and so if you look at Rainbow Gatherings as a phenomenon, the only overarching thing is that it's a peace and healing gathering, he says, describing the gatherings as temporary autonomous zones with anarchistic undercurrents. It's a public event put on by the public for the public. Any sort of action that comes out of it is left to the devices of the people who gather. Rinek says the service work is what brings him to Rainbow and is what fuels him with joy, especially because the work transcends the scope of commercial exchange. It's not a vacation. It means I'm going to be working a lot, doing stuff for a community, whether it's laying water lines, working in the kitchen, carrying in food, or helping in all sorts of ways, he said. There's something inspiring about it that shows how the world could be outside a capitalist structure. Going to a gathering is definitely mental hygiene in that it's a reminder of what we can do. It highlights we can do more together than any of us can do on our own. Empathy and compassion are among the takeaways that Rainbow Family gleaned from the gathering, Renak adds, as a result of sharing things like food and resources. It teaches you that we're all connected, and however mundane it is to say that, it's true, and rainbow gatherings highlight for me that we don't all just live in our personal void. So much of society is divided, and a rainbow gathering at its best cuts through all that bullshit. Nobody cares what you look like or where you're from, just being a decent human being is what really matters. In Babylon, the world outside the gathering, people are often valued monetarily. A person's worth is measured by the amount of money they make per hour or per year, notes Shmuel Lederman, longtime Rainbow family and a focalizer of the Home Shalom camp. But in the paradigm of anarcho-communalism that defines Rainbow, we look at everyone equally, he explains. Everyone has an equal opportunity and responsibility to contribute. That means digging a shitter if you don't know where to go to the bathroom, helping to build a kitchen counter out of wood if you want your next meal prepared, or making friends if you need help getting something done. If you're bored, you don't need to plug in your iPhone, you won't get reception anyway, so you might as well pick up a guitar and play music, or have a conversation, or tell a joke, and get yourself interesting and stop being used to being mediated, says Lederman. If you're not interesting enough, have some acid and things will get interesting then. Rainbow Gathering is like a psychedelic trip unto itself, both Lederman and Renak agree. There's this psychedelic reset that people get into when you put people out of their element, Lederman says. 
Learning to survive in nature, he explains, breaks people down and puts them into a position to realign in much of the same way psychedelics do. Both the psychedelic experience and the experience of Rainbow, whether or not you take psychedelics there, offers a new lens through which to process reality. And when people trip at the gathering, Lederman adds, it compounds the experience, like putting whipped cream on the cake. The absence of money at the gathering also creates a more organic environment, without the complications that commercialism or materialism bring to the table, he adds. When you think, maybe my blow dryer is not so important, maybe sitting around and holding a conversation with some confidence is more important than other things, it's a reset on a psychological level, just as hallucinogens would be a reset for traumas. For Rickshaw, a Quaker who's been going to Rainbow for the past 18 years, the healing is what keeps drawing him back. I look at it as both a spiritual home and also a collection of revolutionary cells, he says. By escaping Babylon, the question is whether Babylon is in our heads or not. One of the reasons Rainbow is so psychedelic in and of itself is that it takes us out of the dominant mundane paradigm, much in the same way that psychedelics may cause ego death, enabling us to break out of old patterns and feel a greater sense of connection to the people, nature, and world around us. Rainbow is a way of teaching us that this way of life actually works, and if we just apply it to the rest of our lives, we can escape a great deal from Babylon, even if we're surrounded by it. Our non-participation makes it fade away. It's a matter of a simple psychedelic query, Rickshaw says. Do we have love in our hearts and light in our head, or do we have a bunch of money and violence in our heads so that the battle space is inside our skulls? That's the Rainbow Insight. The power to change our reality lies within our minds. An idea similar to the concept so aptly encapsulated in the title of a book by acid evangelist Timothy Leary, Your Brain is God. When everyone behaves as if money is real, says Rickshaw, then it's real, but in the reality of Rainbow, money has no value. The only thing that gives something authority is when we give it residence in our minds, he explains. That isn't to say money isn't real, but like a psychedelic trip, Rainbow helps open our minds to notions we may not have considered through our mundane experience, and we realize the power that our consciousness had on tangible reality outside ourselves. The ideas in our heads, the false notions about what's important and what's real, that's what we try to liberate ourselves from, even if momentarily while we're at the gathering, says Rickshaw, and maybe over time it deepens and we stay liberated even when we're not at the gathering. As with any psychedelic experience, the point isn't just to have the experience only for the sake of itself, but to integrate its lessons into our everyday lives. The same is true of Rainbow. And the question becomes, what is the point of the gathering? What significance does it bear on everyday life, on the systems that govern the majority of our realities, and on contemporary issues? And while the quantitative scope of the gathering has dwindled over the past half century, with only a couple thousand per gathering rather than tens of thousands, many Rainbow family members wonder how future generations will carry the torch. Sipora Godisman, a teacher of nonviolent communication and a friend with whom I co-created a woman's camp called Sarah's Tent, adjacent to Home Shalom at this year's Rainbow, describes a moment at a gathering a couple of years ago in Georgia. It was this magical late afternoon in Maine Meadow, and there was music playing, and one of the elders looked around in frustration at the newbies and young folk and asked, Why aren't the hippies dancing? It really struck me, said Godisman, who discovered Rainbow about ten years ago. Here you had this withered hippie elder, and she's looking around at what Rainbow's become, and when she said that, it sparked something, and everybody got up, 
and started dancing. The values, concerns, and customs of the original generations of Rainbow Family no longer apply today as broadly. Our generation faces different challenges, and as such, our psyches, needs, and actions reflect that, for better and for worse. Of course, we want to keep the integrity of the original magic, and we don't want to be stuck recreating the same old thing. We want to see where the future takes us, says Godesman. That's where inter integration comes in, creating a relationship between the experience and moments in between, when life happens. The two inform each other, and as such, our psychedelic experiences, including the experience of Rainbow Gathering, reflect what's going on in everyday life, and therefore challenge us to change it where there's room for improvement. But like a psychedelic trip, Rainbow also reflects the negative and the positive, offering a container through which to work through difficult moments of learning. If a person had a psychedelic experience, they can always reference it and have psychedelic moments just by doing that, says Goetzman, drawing a comparison to the gathering. For those seeking a good set and setting to take psychedelics, Rainbow offers said opportunity. It's the most optimal playground for someone to be their own magical self, to let it fly, says Goetzman, but they don't even have to take psychedelics. It's a fertile playground to be psychedelic. Maybe it's the drum circle in Main Meadow that lasts till dawn. Maybe it's schlepping more than a mile into the gathering, trekking through mud in order to set up camp and bring in all necessities like food and shelter materials. Maybe it's asking a friendly neighbor to check you for ticks. At Rainbow, I found myself in situations I never thought mundane life would present. I found myself trip-sitting a baby boomer who returned to acid for the first time in decades. I myself was on a bit of original Rainbow Family acid that a friend had given me, and here we were, surrogate mother and daughter, processing issues we each had in our respective parent-child relationships. At the gathering, stone sober, I sat on a rock with a friend and people watched. He'd been working on a goat farm a few months prior and noticed that people are just like goats. Here in the forest, in this temporary, made-up society, people just lived naturally, just as you'd observe a herd of other animals. At this year's gathering, I caught Lyme disease, despite all the tick-checking, but so did nearly everyone else, and I feel an odd, comforting sense of community in that. And in treating it, I'm learning that my psychosomatic experience is not irrelevant to the core of wellness and healing, whether we're talking about Lyme, COVID, or any other ailment. At this year's gathering, I met a high school chemistry teacher and his former student, a college kid and a fan of Double Blind. At a previous gathering, I watched an elder coming from a Jewish background put on tefillin, prayer accessories, for the first time in decades. And at both the gatherings I'd been to, I stayed up till sunrise, singing songs, shooting the shit, and having conversations that could only happen in an environment as unencumbered as Rainbow. A doctor told me recently that I'll probably always test positive for Lyme, but that I would also be okay. And I see that as a kind of biological tattoo, kind that reminds you of an unforgettable experience, specifically, as Goetzman put it, the experience and opportunity to be psychedelic. When I think of how I regard my health and take care of myself vis-a-vis -vis the Lyme, the COVID state of affairs, and the ills of the world at large, I think about integrating the psychedelic ethos of Rainbow into something I can draw from in Babylon. It's a really strong reference to living a different way, says Goetzman, and that is with a more loving lifestyle. And now one by one we will drink of the sacrament. Take a sip of the sacrament, my brother.
Lamb of God. Take a sip of the sacrament, my godson. You are ill. You may you may drink some water. Take a sip of the sacrament, my godson. Lamb of God. Take a sip of the sacrament, my god brother. You, you can, you can, you have, you have the gift. Lamb of God. Take a sip of the sacrament, my god brother. Lamb of God. Take a sip of the sacrament, my god sister. Lamb of God. La <laughs> you nah. Take a sip of the sacrament, my goat brother. That's cheeky, cheeky motherfucker. Lamb of God. Lamb of God. Take a sip of the sacrament, my goat brother. <laughs> Lamb of God.
Hundreds of Hippies in the Gathering in the Woods, It's Not a Rave, published August 22, 2021, in La Nazione. It has been going on for days between Maradi and San Gaudenza, a meeting place for flower children, residents anxious. Maradi, 23rd of August. The hippies from half of Europe have met for a few days now on the peaks of the Tuscan Romagna Apennines, up there at the Aquacetta in the locality of Fontanece, the participants of the Rainbow family camped out. The carabinieri of the Borgo San Lorenzo company reassure the nature of the event, nothing to do with a rave, but the people of this mountain glimpse straddle the Florentine municipalities of Moradi and San Gaudenzo, and the Forlivese, one of San Benedetto and Alpe, is worried about the unexpected arrivals of young people, not-so-young people, and families, lovers of nature, but not of the mask, for example. On the other hand, according to the organizers, what has been going on for days now is an immersion in nature of modern flower children announced at the prefecture. To reach the town, participants park their cars for kilometers along the provincial road San Benedetto and Alp Maradi, then continue for a couple of hours on foot paths in the woods and meadows because the town can only be reached by foot, far above the Aquacetta. The rally, which will end in the first week of September, has lasted for several days and mainly involves San Benedetto and Alp, the town from which you enter and where cars are left. The inhabitants, in particular the owners of bars, shops, and tourist facilities, are worried about the gatherings that form in time of COVID, not so much at the Fontanecci in the middle of nature, but when they come down or arrive en masse in the village. Here, comments Mayor Maurizio Monti, they don't use masks when entering the premises, perhaps storming the bathrooms and showers of the premises, and no one can control the green pass. The mayors involved and neighboring, as told by the mayor of Maradi, have for days informed the police, carabinieri, and municipal police. They assured me, said Mayor Triberti, that the participants are not committing irregularities and illegal acts and are continuously monitored. Even the managers of the national park, some transit areas are inside or on the borders, have been informed by the police in charge of protecting the naturalistic area. According to some, the organizers would even have the permits of the prefecture of Florence. The organizers themselves say that unauthorized people, or who do not respect the rules of the rainbow, the prohibition of alcohol or other prohibited substances, would be arriving. The fact is that the participants, several of them stay for only a couple days, are not only young people or grandchildren of the flower children, but also families with children and people of all ages who are looking for an immersion in nature at a search for a belonging, a tribe against the stressful life and loneliness of the cities. They cook, make music, and live together. But we assure those responsible we have nothing to do with rave parties. What shall we do with a drunken sailor? What shall we do with a drunken sailor? What shall we do with a drunken sailor? And I in the morning. Wait up, she rises. Wait up, she rises. Wait up, she rises. And I in the morning. Put him in a bilge and make him drink it. Put him in a bilge and make him drink it. Put him in a bilge and make him drink it. And I in the morning. Put him 
in bed with the captain's daughter. Put him in bed with the captain's daughter. Put him in bed with the captain's daughter. Early in the morning, way up she rises. Way up she rises. Way up she rises. Early in the morning. Shave his belly with a rusty razor. Shave his belly with a rusty razor. Shave his belly with a rusty razor. Early in the morning. Summer Rallies That Unexpected Tourism, August 23rd, Firenze.it. The phenomenon splits public opinion. Hundreds have chosen Tuscany, but they are not traditional tourists, and the epidemic has raised the alarm. Florence. The rallies triggered the alarm in Tuscany in mid-August, the rave on the border with Lazio that would then take the veterans to the beaches of the Morema and to the free spas of postcard-worthy Tuscany between Bagne San Filippo and Saturnia, while in the end of the month, coinciding with the full moon, the attention was raised by a hippie gathering on the border with Emilia Romagna on the Eponinus that welcomed the European rainbow family. Two very different meeting occasions from the point of view of the participants and of the purposes. In common, the music and the Tuscan landscape. The local administrators, on the recommendation of the residents, monitored the events that involved in some cases the direct intervention of the police, while in others, as happened in 